BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to those committed to leveraging innovation to make the world a better place. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank, be bold, venture wisely. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. From KQED. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Welcome to Forum. The SF Weekly announced it was calling it quits this week. The publication had been around for about 40 years in some form. Along with its rival, SF Bay Guardian and Cross Bay fellow travelers like the East Bay Express and Metro Silicon Valley, the Bay Area had one of the most formidable collections of alt-weeklies and alt-weekly writers in the country. But in the internet era, they've struggled, even as their deeply embedded in the city, snarky, chatty DNA has been crossbred into digital media. We'll talk with alt-weekly writers, past and present, and with you about the good, the bad, and the ugly of the alt-press. That's all next on Forum, after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. You know, when I was growing up, my favorite journalistic outfits were not the big Metro Dailies, which struck me as conservative and deeply uncool. No, for me, it was the surly attitude and speak truth to powerness of the free alt-weeklies that caught my attention. I was a religious reader of Portland's Willamette Week as a teenager and then founded my own short-lived paper for youth, Reckless Abandon. Later, I gorged on the Boston Phoenix and the Bay Area's Guardian, SF Weekly, and East Bay Express. But over the last two decades, these formidable institutions that nurtured writers like Rebecca Solnit, Daniel Smith, Glenn David Gold, and investigative journalist A.C. Thompson have been in dire financial shape. SF Weekly announced a few days ago that it was ceasing publication for the foreseeable future. And to me, it's really part of the story of the late 20th, early 21st century city and what it's becoming. So today, we're going to do the story of Alt Weeklies kind of in three parts. Nostalgia, reality, and future, and it's a bit of a eulogy, really, and I kind of hope you'll join the conversation about it. Are you a reader of alt-weeklies? What's an article that's really stayed with you or a writer who shaped your view of this place that we live in? Give us a call now at 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum, or you can email your questions to forum at KQED. Org or your memories, your nostalgic remembrances. Uh, so joining us now in the virtual studio in the sky, I want to introduce Dashka Slater, staff writer at the East Bay Express from 1991 to 2000. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Tim Redman, proprietor of 48 Hills, but who previously uh, was at the SF Bay Guardian for 30 years, ending as the executive editor, I believe. Welcome, Tim. Happy to be on the show. Cool. 
We also have uh, D. Scott Miller, who's currently currently managing editor at the East Bay Express, but who wrote for both The Guardian and East Bay Express during the aughts and 2010s. Welcome. Thanks for having me. And finally, Joe Eskenazi, now managing editor at Mission Local, but who spent more than a decade writing for SF Weekly. Welcome, Joe. Thank you kindly. So, Joe, I want to start off with the SF Weekly news. How are you feeling? Oh, well, I mean, like I wrote, you're shocked, but you're not surprised. Uh, it, it, it wasn't like it came out of left field. Yeah. And, you know, during this time in which the weeklies were declining, what was it like to kind of write for them and know you were sort of waging this noble battle against uh, Internet attenuation? Well, it was difficult. Uh, imagine that you're on a ship that's sinking, and uh, a lot more of your effort goes to bailing out the ship than to piloting the ship to wherever you want to go. And uh, I think that maybe my cohort was the last uh, group that kind of bridged the gap between the carefree days when they would yell at you if you didn't turn in expense reports for taking out sources, and the later days when um, you know they would do weird things like, you know, demand a blog every day uh, and, a, you know, a 5,000 word story every five weeks. And, and, you know, other uh, later on, there were things that were worse than that and crossed ethical boundaries. And that's part of why we got where we are, but it was difficult. It was, it was, it was a lot of effort was put into, into treading water rather than uh, mm. moving towards what you wanted to do. Tim Redman, I mean, how about you, even with the prickliness between the Bay Guardian and the weekly over the years, I imagine this is still a bummer. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, the death of a newspaper is always tragic. And, you know, the end of the alternative press in San Francisco is very, very sad. I mean, yes, we um, fought with the weekly, both journalistically and in business. And legally. Um, and legally, <laughs> yes. And, um, but, you know, if I set aside the legal stuff for a moment, um, fighting with the SF Weekly journalistically was a positive thing for San Francisco. Joe and I had debates journalistic debates over the direction of the city and what it was doing. This is a good thing. This was, this, you know, we wound up one time on forum arguing about the city budget. Mm -hmm. Good, good for San Francisco, good for the discussion. So yes, I, you know, I, I, I feel bad that, you know, I mean, I spent my entire, most of my entire career in the alternative press. And um, I feel very bad that that era seems to be in much of the country coming to an end. Yeah. Dushka Slater, let's go, back in time to let's call it the 90s um what were these places like to, like to give me the map of some of these uh these alt weeklies and what you remember as their their spaces or their their lanes well uh the people who were working at those publications may argue with me so uh that's good this is feel how free it, yeah <laughs> this is how i looked at it as somebody at the east bay express where we always saw ourselves as being kind of uh, uh, something apart from what those San Francisco weeklies did. So uh, we were writing these extremely long, back in the days before the internet pieces, uh, we ran these cover stories that were six to 10,000 words. Um, and all, what we had inside the paper was also super long. So we were kind of contemplative, uh, not quite as edgy, I would say, much more like uh, a writer's paper where we believed we, you could make anything interesting if you wrote it the right way. Give me a few um, examples of like some of the stories that you remember from that time. 
So I can tell you things that I did. Uh, uh, John Rayside was the editor of the paper back then, uh, who's the founder and kind of guiding spirit of that era of the Express. And I would wander into his office with completely half-baked ideas. Like there's all these motels on West MacArthur Boulevard in Oakland. And there's a lot of prostitution that happens there. People are doing drugs. People in the neighborhood are really mad. I wonder what it's like to work at one of those places. Mm-hmm. And so out of that came a story where I spent a couple of months hanging out in a West MacArthur Boulevard motel, uh, just writing about like what life was like there. Um, I did something similar around trains where I got kind of interested like in- Like trains, how about them? They're cool, yeah. Exactly. Like I walked in and literally I was like, you know, I hear the trains, you know how you hear the horn, like, where's it going? And didn't there used to be a lot of trains here? And I don't know, are trains better than cars? I think they are like, can we look at that? And so we'd talk for a while and then, you know, I'd kind of come up with something that was like an angle. And then I'd go and ride trains around and research trains and write a story about it. God, so, see, uh, that's what I loved about the the alt weeklies, though, right? Was that there there was this sense that like literally anything could be a story, and we'll we'll come back to that theme um, in a second. D. Scott, um, how about you? How do you remember these institutions? You know, when the show developed out of a tweet, I asked people what their who their favorite alt weekly writers were, and you were like, "Man, this list is so white that people have to keep saying the names of the few black people who were on it." Yeah, <laughs> it was in the Which was a very good, it was a good tweet. You had a good tweet. <laughs> yeah, it's an incredibly white list. Um, well, uh, for me, I came from, say, a poetry background because I, I moved out here um, for the uh, Writers' Corps program. So for me, I was always trying to break into the alt weeklies because, like you, I grew up with them. You know, I'm, I actually used to go to the, um, my library in West Virginia and read the uh, Village Voice every week, you know. Um, Serious follower of Greg Tate, and and so I, I wanted to be I wanted to be a, a weekly writer when I came to San Francisco. So what I did was I just started um, contributing things. At first, to the weekly, I was just a stringer. I didn't even get the byline. I just wanted to know how all weeklies worked. Mm-hmm. And then by 2006 or 2007, I was writing for all three papers simultaneously. Um, and, and 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 to me, the atmosphere was always one of of just comrades. I, I never felt there's any kind of friction. I mean, there might be like, you know, an argument or something like that, but as far as we were all working to a greater goal. And, 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 and I mean, that's all three papers at the same time, you know, I was working with three different editors and those editors were all very much um, encouraging of, of my writing and encouraging of my participation in their papers. Um, I always felt welcome. Um, but yeah, there were very few uh, um, black people writing for the weeklies in, in California. Um, New York was different. They had Nelson George, Greg Tate. Um, Whitehead. Uh, Nick Colson Whitehead wrote television for the for for, for wrote about television, right? So, but I mean, the West Coast was kind of uh, LA was a little bit better, but you know, there were only like three or four of us working on <laughs> at all, right? and I don't know why that necessarily was. I do think that um, I wrote about not music, mm-hmm. um, and I did that on purpose because all the black writers were almost exclusively about music. And so what I wanted to do was I started doing book reviews and high art pieces. And I think that sometimes people forget that, like, you know, that I am black because I I didn't write about music all that much. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. 
Do you remember any other um, just like great stories that you got to do where you were like, man, only could I do something like this at an alt weekly? Oh, yeah. Uh, the big ones for me were interviewing uh, Barry Jenkins from the, after his first movie before he did Moonlight. Um, I got a chance to only in an alt weekly could I have written something like the Apple Superman Manifesto and had it put on the cover of, 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 of a paper. There is no daily in the world that would have allowed me to do that. Um, and so we had a whole issue devoted to Afro Surreal with a Candy Wiley on the cover. Um, I got a chance to talk to Amir Baraka before he passed. And, I, and I, Baraka was not somebody the mainstream really listened to, and they should have. So, yeah, I mean, and, 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 and I think the, the, the beautiful part about it was, was I was able to go with these ideas that I knew Davies wouldn't want to touch at all. Like, I, I want to talk to Amir Baraka. Please talk to Amir Baraka. They at least knew who he was. And so I've always liked that, that underground feel. And even though, even, even though I guess alternative is probably a better term, you know, but to me, it felt underground. All, all three papers, including like, like Joshua was saying, like, like the EBS, East Bay Express had a different feel to it, but it still wasn't what was being talked about in mainstream media. There was always something that I could learn that I didn't like that trains. Well, how, who, you know, like that. Yeah. So yeah, that, that, that's always been my feeling about alternative weaknesses. It's kind of like where I want to be. Yeah. Are you out there a reader of alt weeklies? Did you write for one? What's an article or writer that kind of stands out to you or really helped define your Bay Area? And we also want to know from you, has anything taken its place? Or was the alt weekly really something special that we we can't actually replicate on a phone? Give us a call now, 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum, or you can email your remembrances, comments, and questions to forum at kqed.org. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for more Forum. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about the SF Weekly shutting down, doing a little eulogizing of the alt-weeklies here in town. We're joined by an excellent slate of alt-weekly folks, including Dashka Slater, representing the East Bay Express, where she was a staff writer from 1991 to 2000. Tim Redman, uh, now proprietor of 48 Hills, but who was previously executive editor at SF Bay Guardian, where he spent 30 years. D. Scott Miller, who wrote for all of them um, and is now the managing editor at East Bay Express, and Joe Eskenazi, now managing editor at Mission Local, but who spent more than a decade writing for SF Weekly. Um, Jack Boulware, some people may remember, longtime columnist um, in the city here, and he had a great post on his Facebook kind of talking about SF Weekly. And I just want to 
for those, just so we can all remember this together, um, says, the editors were generous with my offbeat story ideas. I traveled to Lowell, Massachusetts to research the literary estate of Jack Kerouac. I went on a wild boar hunt in Sonoma. I did features about boxing in Marin, an Eagles band member impersonator, and online sports gambling on the island of Antigua. I interviewed Julia Butterfly, the activist who lived in a tree in Humboldt County, and rock singer Sammy Hagar. I burrowed deep into legal archives following the trail of a horrible landlord and unearthed San Francisco's longest-running court case between the landlord and her former partner, the notorious Dr. Feelgood, rock and roll party doctor. And he says about these alt-weeklies, that they were ears to the ground of every major American city. You picked up one up and immediately got a sense of local politics, culture, nightlife, endless classified ads, and you heard voices of your community not represented in the daily papers or glossy magazines. Tim Redman, I feel like SFB Guardian had a very special place, even like within the pantheon of of alt-weeklies. Tell me about how you saw, as the editor of this paper, how you saw your relationship to the rest of the local media. Um, Bruce Brugman, who founded the paper in 1966, once told me, you know, um, the daily newspapers look at the city from the top of the Transamerica Pyramid down, and we look at the city from the bottom of the Transamerica Pyramid up. We were, um, you know, we were, um, we were, thought of ourselves as a paper for the voiceless, for the, the, the communities and institutions and people who were never gonna make it into the daily newspapers. And that includes in arts, culture, and politics. We also saw ourselves as part of the San Francisco progressive movement. I mean, you know, the thing about the alt-weeklies is um, we had personality, we had attitude, we had politics. And we were a progressive political paper that was out to make the city a better place. And, um, you know, what our vision of the city as a better place might be something that the Chamber of Commerce disagreed with, but that was our vision and that was our mission and that's what we were trying to do. Um, we're also a paper, as were other alternative weeklies, and we haven't really talked about this much yet, that put a lot of time and effort into um, investigative reporting. Yeah. We put, a, you know, we were a paper, as were other alt weeklies, where you could put somebody on a story for a month and have them really dig into it. And there's so many examples that we could all talk about. You know, we had um, A.C. Thompson, who you um, talked mm-hmm. about earlier, worked on for a long time on a story about a guy who was um, innocent and serving life in prison and got to the bottom of it. And he ended up being released after our story came out. And, you know, we, so we had impact. We were involved. We were part of things that were going on in the city. And we were proud of that. We were never we never had to stop set back and say, oh, I'm not being objective enough about this. I'm not being, you know, as Bruce always said, you know, the, the first uh, commandment of journalism is thou shalt not be fair to PG&E. Um, <laughs> we didn't have to be fair to PG&E, right? Well, well I mean, and, I think the and, differentiators you're making, right, is you were principled, but you weren't committing to neutrality. Right. We were principled and we were not committed to neutrality at all. And, and most of the alt-weeklies were not committed to no- neutrality. We had a point of view and we were proud of that. And I think that's what gave us the personality and the role that we played in San Francisco. Um, let me stick with this for, for one more second. How much do you think the business model also played into that? I mean, these were largely running on cheap ads that many, many people were buying, you know, whether they were classifieds or just, you know, cheap like – um, regular quarter pages or whatever. Um, do you think that is what gave you the freedom or do you think that it was a, a, a cultural thing more than that? 
It was both. I mean, in order for us to have that freedom and in order for us to be able to hire and pay a living wage to journalists, we had to have the business model. And it was really, you know, in the 80s and 90s that the alternative press around the country figured out this business model that between classifieds and display ads, I mean, we gave away the product free and we aimed at a younger audience. I mean, our readership target was people basically mostly 18 to 40. And we were able to, uh, because we had that audience, we were able to sell ads and we were able to bring in enough revenue from selling ads to pay for the operation. And you know what, the best alt weeklies, and I include the Guardian in this, the, the revenue went back into the paper. Right. These they, the operation had to be successful business wise in order to pay people. But the goal wasn't to make the publisher rich. The goal was to put money back into the paper and make the paper better. Yeah. And I think the you know, certainly the locally owned papers did that. Yeah. And, you know, as they say that, you know, the, the money paid for the journalism. Uh, I want to start adding in some uh, callers that the phones light up here. Uh, Bill from Oakland, welcome to the show. Howdy. In the olden days before the Internet, there was really no way to become an informed voter in Oakland. So I'd have stacks of papers. And uh, what ended up happening is I would end up voting the Express slate because they spoke to, like me, who I thought was the downtrodden. Also, the Express always had this uh, nude beach issue (laughs) that made it seem really exciting. So, of course, I had to do my own research. And it turns (laughs) out I was the only one there most of the time, except for um, Red Rocks in Marin. And I found out I knew the guy they interviewed for his take on that beach. He was called the mayor. So a couple other things. If it wasn't for the Detroit Metro, I wouldn't have known there was a uh, life outside of my high school. And your earlier, your guest earlier spoke of the hotels on West MacArthur. And I lived there from like 90 to 94. And I watched the prostitutes age 20 years, even though I was only there for five. Yeah. Um, Bill, thank you so much. I, I do want to talk about, you know, we we actually have a, a commenter who also asked, I love the alt-weeklies, but weren't they supporting the entire prostitution industry in San Francisco? Um, Dashka Slater, why don't you talk about how you saw the relationship between the kind of heavy-hitting investigative journalism, the sort of cultural promotion that these uh, weeklies were doing, and a, a business model that did really rely a, a lot on sex work ads and, and other things. Yeah. I mean, I think that was probably a little bit more true in San Francisco than it was in the East Bay. Uh, but, you know, I think there was a lot of things going on at that time. One was that we were all sex positive. And so what was happening in our classifieds, we generally saw back then as being about consenting adults hooking up in whatever way they wanted to, and that was good. And so, you know, with some hindsight, there's a lot more reflection to happen about what was and wasn't consensual in those uh, classified ads. But at the time, I have to say that I did not give a lot of thought to it. and in part because, you know, the classifieds were what was driving the revenue of the paper, as Tim talked about. And, you know, it was all about 
having selling enough ads of whatever kind to be able to have as many pages as we wanted for our super long stories. <laughs> that was, you know, that was as kind of how I at least thought about what was happening in other parts of the paper was, um, you know, I did sometimes use the classifieds for sources to find sources, though, I, I have to say that, oh, wow. that sometimes worked to place a, a personal ad in there because we knew that our readers read every inch of the paper because it was before the internet. People had time. Wow. D. Scott, you actually sold some advertising, right, during your time? Yeah, actually, I started out as an as ad uh, sales person, uh, retail uh, ad sales in the early 2000s with East Bay Express. And um, I sold ads, and you're not supposed to write and sell ads because of conflict of interest. And so people knew me as Doug Miller. That's my first name is Doug Miller. And, but D. Scott Miller started writing for the paper anyway. <laughs> And D. Scott, D. Scott got hired when Doug got fired. Uh, Stephen Buell, <laughs> Stephen Buell gave me my first feature about a week after. After I've, I've been writing these book reviews uh, for the book section as D. Scott, and when they found out that D. Scott and Doug were the same, I had to go. And then I'm talking about less than like say six hours later, I'm talking to Stephen Buell about my first feature, and that was how I really started writing for them. That had to be about 2005, 2006, something like that. Wow. Um, I want to add in tim from berkeley into the conversation welcome tim good morning go ahead hi um hi to dashka and tim this is tim kingston i loved working with you guys and to joe so i was a long time writer for the alt weeklies but there's one part that i wanted to add into that hasn't been brought up here there were three queer alt weeklies in San Francisco for quite a while. And one of them, the BAR, still seems to be operating. So I just wanted to talk about the role that they played in San Francisco, particularly with um, when I worked for Coming Up, which became Bay Times, covering HIV AIDS and working and covering ACT UP. And also, just my own claim to fame, uh, the departure of Richard Hongisto as police chief. Mm. And I just wanted to add that because that's a huge part of San Francisco uh, gay life, a huge part of San Francisco politics. Whenever somebody wants to get elected, Nancy Pelosi had to make the rounds of all the papers, not just The Guardian and The Weekly, but The Sentinel, the BAR coming up. Mm. We were an integral part of San Francisco culture and politics. And again, we were trying to make a better San Francisco, one that wasn't gentrified, one that wasn't homophobic. And I just think that's a really important part of the story. Can you tell us a little more about the papers? Oh, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Stay with us. Can you tell us a little more about the papers? Like, give us the sort of like capsule review of the the different queer papers in the city. Okay. Um, SF Bay Times and coming up with one I worked for. It was kind of the queer radical paper. It was uh, where Queer Nation got a lot of coverage. It was where ACT UP got a lot of, lot of coverage. Um, the BAR was more eh, kind of the mainstream, more AP version of Queer Lights, more conservative um, editorial line. But again, like was being discussed, all the reporters pretty much got along. And then there was the Sentinel as well, which was operating. And I left out one, San Francisco Frontiers. Uh, which was originally purchased by the guy from L.A. Frontiers. I also was the news editor and reporter there. So actually, there was four gay papers throughout 20 years or so. 
you know, there was coverage. There was Don Baird, who did rock and roll coverage, which was awesome, which was all about um, the stud, um, punk rock, and him being a great DJ. There was coverage of the gay and queer and lesbian and plus um, theater scene. There were book reviews. There were a lot of writers who were book reviewers who became novelists and authors. Um, there was even one person I know, Rebecca Hensler, did a Can You Get a $5 Meal um, uh, food column. So there was all sorts of fun stuff like that. So yeah. those, those were an integral part of the community. That's, that's, Tim, that, yeah. Those were the capsules. Yeah. Thank you so much for that. We're talking about the SF Weekly shutting down and looking back on the golden days of alt-weeklies with Dashka Slater, author of The 57 Bus, who was a staff writer at the East Bay Express from 1991 to 2000, Tim Redman, proprietor of 48 Hills, longtime SF Bay Guardian staffer, D. Scott Miller, currently managing editor at East Bay Express, but who wrote for all the papers, and Joe Eskenazi, now managing editor at Mission Local, but who spent more than a decade writing for SF Weekly. Joe, I want to uh, come to you. You now have an online publication, um, do you think the current crop of sort of online local things in the Bay Area, wh- what parts of this hole that now exists are being filled and which are, are not? Well, I think you have to look at what people can do in terms of, of, of the situation. And many of the writers who um, struggled to get relevant copy into the weekly and, uh, and other papers that were really put uh, up against the wall in the last few years would have thrived, you know, in, in, in an earlier era when you didn't have to worry about existential problems. Uh, so in terms of Mission Local and 48 Hills and uh, another uh, up and coming uh, online publications, some of which have quite a lot of backing, I see it like lifeboats after, after the big ship has gone down. Now, a lifeboat is still a boat. <laughs> it still floats. You can still, you can still pick people up. You can still, you can still save some things, but it's just not as big and it doesn't have as many people on it. And, and, and again, in terms of existential uh, struggles, you're, you're just happy to be in a boat. It's better than being in the water as opposed to driving, you know, somewhere with a purpose. Uh, we cannot cover as much. I mean, just the last caller who I'm so glad called, uh, got me thinking about, you know, I used to work at the Hearst Examiner, which was an afternoon newspaper. The notion of people, you know, uh, reading something in the morning and then reading something in the afternoon and then, you know, people choosing to read various different things or just choosing their niche publications, uh, that level of, of uh, coverage is just not happening now. Uh, and, and, you know, uh, I believe the Washington Post says democracy dies in darkness, but there's just a lot of bad things that happen in darkness. Yeah. And, uh, and, and I think the examples of that are, are, are all too easy to see, you know, if you just, you know, begin reading between the lines in the coverage of San Francisco now. I'd like to add in Lauren from San Francisco into the conversation. Welcome, Lauren. Hi. Uh, thank you for having me. Yeah, go ahead. Yes. So I met my husband in 1999, and we would read the misconnections together every week. And we would make fun of each other saying, oh, that one's clearly about me. Um, the way that I declared that I wanted to be with him was that I put an ad in the misconnections and he read it one week and knew it was me. We will celebrate our 20th anniversary next week. We'll mar- be married 20 years. Oh, that's a good story, Lauren. I really like that one. Dashka Slater, I want to come to you on, you know, the community building that these papers also did, because 
people knew that you were, you know, if you were an East Bay Express reader, you were a certain kind of person. Absolutely. I, I still get, I mean, I haven't worked for the Express for more than 20 years now. I still have people recognize my name more from my time at the Express than for any of the work I've done for the New York Times Magazine or books I've written or anything, because it really was at for a while and you know before we had so many choices it was the one the one thing that everybody read to get their information and that really does create a sense of community when you walk in i used to do this on the days that my cover stories would come out i would instantly the the uh, newspaper came out wednesday afternoon always dated on Thursday, but out on in the newsstand on Wednesday afternoon. And I would go into a cafe and watch people read my work. You're basically Googling uh, yourself, but live, like in person. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And I could do that because, you know, that's what there was. Everybody picked up the paper to find out what they were going to do that weekend and <laughs> nothing else, not necessarily to read anything I wrote, but they might do that by the way. Yeah. Um, Keith writes, this is a nice nostalgic look. Oh, man, I moved to San Francisco after college in 1990. The dual cultural embrace of The Guardian and SF Weekly was like an immersive onboarding to life in the city. Pre-internet, this was invaluable to this straight white boy from suburbia. I looked forward to the new editions every week, relied on them to find out who was playing at the Paradise Lounge, devoured Dan Savage's sex advice column, looked forward to Jack Boulware's column, even as I myself entered the artistic fray and was critically reviewed by said weeklies. I loved them. I missed The Guardian when it disappeared, and now, older, married, and ensconced in fatherhood, I still looked forward to picking up the SF Weekly, and even if I didn't, felt comforted by its existence in that corner newspaper box. So long, SF Weekly. I loved you so. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for more Forum after the break. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about the alt-weeklies of the Bay Area. We're joined by a whole slate. Dashka Slater, who was at the East Bay Express from 1991 to 2000, most recently is the author of the really, really excellent book, The 57 Bus. Tim Redman, proprietor of 48 Hills, spent decades at SF Bay Guardian. D. Scott Miller, who wrote for all of the papers, currently managing editor at East Bay Express. And Joe Eskenazi, now managing editor at Mission Local, but who spent more than a decade writing for... SF Weekly. Um, Tim Redman, I want to ask you about the relationship of the of the weekly to the city. Like, it seems to me that, you know, each era kind of gets the media it deserves in a sense. And these weeklies were really rooted in kind of a pre-gentrification American city at the end of the 20th century. And I don't really know if that city exists anymore in the same way. Yeah, I mean, that's a very challenging question. One thing that's very important about the alt-weeklies is that they were urban products. We were, um, we were city publications, and we spoke to 
an urban culture. And um, that was a, a big part of who we were. We also spoke to, I think somebody mentioned earlier, the, the underground, the gritty, the bottom up urban culture. And, you know, it's, it, 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 I hear this all the time, you know, San Francisco is being gentrified. Of course, San Francisco is a practically fully gentrified city in many places. But, um, you know, at The Guardian, we also believe that the fight continues and that the struggle doesn't end and that, you know, you don't win every battle that you enter. If you're a progressive in San Francisco, you recognize you're going to lose some, but you, you know, you get up and you dust yourself off and you, you fight again another day. And I would say that the city of San Francisco is very different than it was when I arrived here in 1981, but it's still a really special city and there's still a lot of really amazing stuff going on. And, you know, that's why I started 48 Hills and why I think the, there's room before alternative journalism in a digital fashion in San Francisco. And I think it's not only room for, but I think it's absolutely necessary. I think it's absolutely necessary that we look at what is the next generation? What is the next model for alternative journalism in San Francisco? And I think we're trying to do it at 48 Hills and um, Joe is trying to do it at Mission Local. And I think we're going to see, we may see other startups. I, you know, I don't know exactly what the future brings. I don't know what the business model for the future brings, but I think that the, the city still desperately needs this type of journalism. D. Scott, what do you think about the, the current state? I mean, you're at an Alt Weekly right now. Obviously, East Bay Express is still publishing. How do you see the mission in the context of this you know, massively changed city and region? Well, I, I, honestly, I was just talking to someone else about this earlier. Um, Daedalus Howell, um, he's the editor of uh, the um, North Bay Bohemian. Um, another one of our our papers, our sister paper, and I was telling him that um, I was I've been with I was with the Guardian when they were struggling with SF Weekly. I was with um, East Bay Express through three different ownerships: New Times, Telegraph Media, Village Voice Media, um, and 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 so I keep hearing people say that there's you know. Uh, Perhaps there is something going on, but as far as, as far as the way I feel about the East Bay Express, I've seen it go through so many different iterations, and we're still here. Mm-hmm. And 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 I, and I think that I think that like even though we can we we may see some changes, but I don't think that the alternative weekly format is is totally played out yet. I mean, a lot of people are trying to say it's like the, the internet, but but the internet does not. You don't you don't wake up on a Wednesday, you don't wake up on a Wednesday and go seeking something that's on the internet. You go out, you go looking for this newspaper. And you can do that. You open that newspaper and you, you drink your coffee with that newspaper. And, it, and it's a ritualized thing. And, and I think that I think that, like, even as those changes come, I do believe even, even for San Francisco, there is still room for an alternative weekly print publication. Um, and, and, I, and I don't think that the, the, the need for them has, hasn't gone anywhere, is, is what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, there, I, there might be a change, but the need the need remains. Yeah. So I, and I think I think the East Bay Express is a really good reflection of that. Yeah. Let's bring in uh, Ben from Oakland. Welcome to the show, Ben. Oh, hello. Nice to speak with you guys. Um, it's nice that you're talking about the SF Weekly in particular, because I grew up in San Francisco, and one of the local girls that ended up writing for him was uh, Silka Tudor. And Silka Tudor wrote the House of Tudor and the SF Weekly. And she also wrote a book with somebody mentioned Jack Bulware, so she was part and parcel to the punk scene and the alternative, like, you know, basically power tool racing, drag queen racing, all that kind of stuff. The real tip, you know, 
back in the day, alternative culture in San Francisco, and they, this was something that you read about and found out about everything that was going on from this woman. Later on, went on to work for what she, um, I don't know, New York papers and London papers and stuff like that. But incredible insight into the alternative culture of San Francisco and. We miss her terribly, and then she got her start from SF Weekly, and uh, we appreciated her being a local girl who can write for a paper and then go on to do things for the Village Voice and everything else. Yeah. Hey, thank you so much for that uh, remembrance, Ben. Really appreciate that. I'm going to go to uh, Michelle calling us from the East Bay. Hi, good morning. How are you? And thank you very much for having all of your hosts tonight, or today, this morning. Um, I am so uh, very appreciative of alt media and what it meant in my life. Growing up, that was the first paper as a young individual. You could grab off the street for free, know what was happening on the street, get to a club and understand uh, who was playing and what was happening. And um, beyond that, in my young adulthood, having uh, in-depth articles that really took on critical uh, issues that were happening in uh, local politics, local uh, issues concerning uh, social welfare, all of those. But the thing that I remember most and was most memorable to me is in the early 90s, I got pulled over by a cop in San Francisco for a regular DUI stop along Telegraph Avenue, and uh, the cop noticed that I had an East Bay Express in the back of my car. And it was during the time when we had the police scandal in Oakland, um, mm-hmm. and there was a lot of stuff about that. And the one thing the cop said to me is, I can't believe you have that rag in the back of your car. I'm a white woman. Um, and I just looked at him, and I was like, this is probably the best newspaper you're ever going to find in the city and around the Bay Area. <laughs> and so he just shook his head and, and you know, thought that I was kind of, too young to, to talk about anything, but I was, uh, I, was uh, I am and, and forever will be a loyal alt-media fan, and I am just so thankful that the papers that are in existence are in existence for those of us who have children and are growing up and have another source. I hope that in whatever format in the future, these papers continue to express what it meant to have boots on the ground in a local environment and provide really critical, in-depth reporting on issues that actually matter to a lot of people. Yeah. And I Thank hope yeah. uh, that will carry on forward. Thank, Thank you. Thank you so much, Michelle. I'm just going to keep going to these eulogies. Um, let's bring in Larry from Berkeley. Go ahead, Larry. Hi. How are you, Alexis? Um, it's uh, such a meaningful conversation to me. And I... Uh, graduated college in 1991, and my dream was to go to San Francisco, and I sent uh, a cold call to a woman, to the San Francisco uh, CSF Weekly, and a woman named Danielle Smith responded and said, hey, uh, let's do an interview and come on out. And so I got the SF Weekly as an intern, and uh, my first clip was for the East Bay Express, uh, probably an embarrassing story if I read it now. And it was illustrated by a guy who was an intern in the advertising department at the SF Weekly named Dave Eggers. And so I wanted to talk a little bit about how 
you know, the mentorship that these weeklies provided for people who could show up in San Francisco with not a lot of money and wait tables and be an intern and get some clips for 25 or $40 that it provided. And if you think about, and some of your other callers have touched on this, the people who came out of all weeklies, and I can just name names, but, you know, Ann Powers was a columnist, and you mentioned about a memorable column. Gary Wolf, who was the food writer for the SF Weekly, uh, mm-hmm. instead of writing about food one week, wrote about the fire in the lower hate. It was an intense fire. And just people had leeway and liberty, and I think all those values, especially in a time where media has consolidated and gotten bigger and bigger, uh, what's happening now, the work that Tim is doing and all the localized uh, thing, which I think is a good uh, a good trajectory for some of the media. It's all the same values that we learned uh, at these weeklies. And um, I'm glad some of them are still around, but uh, this is just such an important conversation. I hope people who are under, say, 40 um, realize in some ways nothing's changed, just the way we can get our, our media. Hey, thanks so much. Joe Eskenazi, I um, wanted to ask you about, you know, at a publication like Mission Local, how do you keep that reporter pipeline going? Oh, well, uh, there's no shortage of talent. <laughs> that's that's never been the problem, uh, and you know uh, many many of them come to us out of out of graduate schools now. Which you know I don't I you know Tim might be better to answer this question. Um, that wasn't necessarily the case when I was their age. Uh, there's lots of good young people, and uh, and Mission Local is more like a community newspaper that also does you know uh, what would have run in an alt weekly paper in past years. So we can, we can do all things in that way. Uh, there's lots of good young people. We want to get them immersed with the neighborhood and, you know, um, knock on wood, they will be, uh, guided by editors who know the city well and won't let them flounder or write stories that, that out them as, as, uh, not understanding the city and, and not knowing what's going on. Because as you've heard with all the column, you know, with all the people talking now and reminiscing about the way that, that, that alt weeklies covered the city, that's your stock in trade the long stories, but also knowing the city just so very well in all different formats in the culture and, and calendar listings and politics and, and, and everything and, and having the ability to tell things in an unvarnished way. And that's what a weekly needed to do. I want to read uh, some comments quickly here. Um, Natalie writes, devastated by the death of alt-weeklies in San Francisco, as a local choreographer and theater director, my career and that of many other emerging artists was impacted by the generous art coverage that alt-weeklies provided. Previews, reviews, and other press coverage are not just useful for marketing and generating audiences, but they help build artist portfolios that help us in finding grants, donors, and other necessary resources. I fear the impact this loss will have on the local arts community. Nikki also uh, tweets, For decades, The Guardian set the agenda in San Francisco. At one point, the SF Bay Guardian was the most influential endorsement in city politics. And just to round out the things an Alt Weekly could do, Noel tweets, In 1992, I put a personal ad in the East Bay Express. The guy who wrote me is now my husband. We read the Metro now. I go out on Wednesdays to pick up a copy Last thing, Sean writes, for me, the Alt Weekly was all about Saturday brunch, sitting at my favorite cafe in the dog patch, drinking the endless cup of coffee, reading about the city. You've been hearing about how important local media is, and this is a fundraising period for KQED Public Radio. For more information about how to support KQED, go to kqed.org. I'm Alexis Madrigal. And we're going to keep going. Um, I want to 
talk a little bit about the sort of present uh, day uh, of sort of the alt press. Gregory has a question, and it's about whether podcasts actually are filling some of this role. Do you want to talk about that, Tim Redman? Sure. I, what I think is happening is we're seeing an explosion of different types of media. Podcasts are filling some of this role. There are national publications that are um, filling a different role, and there are local publications that are filling this role. And um, I, I think that the future of the alternative of alternative journalism in American cities and in the country in general is emerging. We don't know what models are going to work. We're all experimenting. Um, the 48 Hills and Mission Local both are nonprofit organizations, and we, like KQED, live on donations and grants. That's one model. Um, podcasts are another model, and um, there are there may be before we know it, somebody comes along, tries to do an alternative journalism venture in a city that is subscription based. Um, there may be some other model that I haven't thought of yet, or that no one has thought of yet. I think that what we're doing now at Forty Eight Hills is part of the picture, and podcasts are part of the picture. And other models are part of the picture. And I think over the next few years, this is going to emerge. But, you know, I always tell my, I, I teach journalism at USF, and I always tell my students, democracy cannot survive without reporters. And demo, a, a city, urban democracy cannot, local democracy cannot survive without local reporters. So we need to make sure that models do exist and do emerge and do come to fill this gap because we desperately need local journalism in San Francisco and in every other city in the country. Yeah. If, if I can interject, I think sure. podcasts, I like podcasts, are absolutely not going to do uh, what Alt Weeklies did. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, without podcasts are great, but it's, it's not the same this thing. This is Joe Eskenazi. Yeah. Uh, my former editor, Brandon Reynolds, wrote uh, recently, you know, spurred on by the, the demise of SF Weekly about this is yet another uh, step in the unbundling of, of newspapers. And think of an alt-weekly as kind of like a department store. He used the example of a Swiss Army knife. All of these things that I mentioned before and all the things that all the callers and the, the panelists have mentioned were there. News, arts, culture. Uh, that is increasingly hard to do, you know, because it's hard to keep the lights on. So, you know, a podcast will probably you know, perhaps even expertly cover something, news, arts, culture, but it, it won't do all of these things. And, you know, I think that the listeners have picked up on the eclectic nature of an alt-weekly. You know, uh, a gifted writer uh, could, uh, you know, write about, you know, very uh, stodgy but, but, but important government things and then, you know, have a story like the one uh, about trains, you know. Uh, it, it could be, it's like a very John McPhee-like existence. That's not happening anymore. Uh, people, people can't, be uh, wild generalists like that anymore, and that's a shame. Yeah, um, I like to add. I like to add something on a positive note. Um, the thing about our paper is, like, even though we, we are talking about eulogizing, I would like to also point out our group has won forty-eight journalism awards this year, and we've employed eighty people during the pandemic. We have increased circulation. We also have a, like a news racks that are finally starting to hit the streets again. Um, so, I mean, I, like, I, I know everyone right now might be feeling a little bit down because SF Weekly is no longer around. But over here at the East Bay Express and, and all our sister papers at Metro, we're still here. We're still growing. And we're, we're, here, we're here for the community. The community still we, we still exists for this community. Yeah. Let's, let's squeeze in one last quick call with Cole in San Francisco. Hey there, everybody. Uh, 
great show. Uh, I really appreciate this. Sorry to see that the weekly is gone. Um, uh, aside from the, uh, you know, the stuff that we're hearing about, um, you know, like more news-based stuff, like, I don't know, I'm, I'm a patron of uh, Brokaw Stewart, uh, so I totally appreciate that. I also really appreciate uh, the various wonderfulness for uh, the arts. Uh, I was the music director for Sex and Design Magazine, which is a lifestyle magazine that did literally what it says. It talked about things that were sexy and well-designed, everything from street art to architecture, uh, and, you know, and music and that kind of stuff. Um, but I also really appreciate, like, some of the other stuff that, that I learned from as, as, a, as a music writer and somebody who was involved in that magazine, like um, uh, Band Magazine, uh, even something as simple as The List, which was uh, like a, a... A list like of stuff. Was, yeah. yeah, The List was like, a, you know, basically a list of all the shows and concerts and things like that that they used to give out around the Bay Area. And if you were a young kid, it was like, you know, that was the one thing you always had in your pocket. It was really, really cool. Um, so I always appreciate stuff like that, you know, Maxton Rock and Roll, uh, yeah. and, and just the wonderfulness of like the, the underground, you know, cultural stuff that, that came through with, you know, people like, uh, Absolutely. you know, doing all those kinds of things. I will say one last thing, um, you know, somebody mentioned, uh, that they met their wife from, uh, you know, an ad in the paper. Well, my job at Sex Design, I wound up marrying one of the people that, uh, that started <laughs> it. So there you have it. Congratulations, Cole. We're going to have to leave it there. We've been talking about the golden days of the alt-weeklies and what can happen now with Dashka Slater, Tim Redman, D. Scott Miller, and Joe Eskenazi. Forum is produced by Tina Lauberg, Suzanne Britton, Ariana Prail, Blanca Torres, Grace Wan, and Caroline Smith. Judy Campbell's lead producer for the 9 o'clock hour. Our engineers are Danny Bringer. Katie McMurrin and Brendan Willard. Our interns are Kimia Akbari and Jennifer Ng. Our executive editor is Ethan Tovin Lindsay. And our chief content officer is Holly Kernan. Stay tuned for more Forum with Mina Kim. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.